Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right, fueled by happy, valued employees. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning blogger, and keynote speaker, passionate to help you humanize business to achieve real results. Last episode, you heard Shep Hyken and I talk about techniques to get customers back to buy again and again. My guest today knows a lot about this too, especially in measuring customer perspectives and their willingness to recommend. He's one of the pioneers of the NPS system, and we dig deep into this topic and how to predict future behaviors. Whether you are a small business, mid or large enterprise, you will gain actionable tips so that you're really doing CX right. Let's get on with the show. I'm so excited to introduce you to Rob Markey, who knows a lot about my favorite topics of customer experience, employee experience, measurements, and so much more. So let's get started. Hello, Rob. Welcome. Hey, Stacey. It's, it's good to be with you. Yes. So tell the audience who you are what you do professionally, and a fun fact about you. Okay. I'm not sure I have any fun facts, but I'm Rob Markey. I'm a partner in Bain & Company's uh, New York office. I founded our customer practice about 20 years ago, and I've spent pretty much all 30 plus years of my Bain career helping usually big companies become more customer-centric and stay that way. And along the way, I helped create something that we call the Net Promoter System. I run the NPS Loyalty Forum, and I just really enjoy talking about this stuff. Yes, and we share that certainly in common for sure. So yes, a fun fact or any fact about you. A fun fact would be, um, or a fact, (laughs) I used to be, when I was in college, I spent my summers as a a bellman in a hotel in uh, outside of suburban urban Cleveland. And a lot of what I learned about how to create great customer experiences and how not to, how to create great employee experiences and how not to, had its foundation in that uh, that that role of carrying people's bags up to their rooms. Yes, we learn so much by doing customer experience right and seeing what, what wrong looks like too, for sure. So, NPS is a, is a big deal. What does NPS mean to you as it relates to employees and customers? Do they go hand in hand? What does that mean to you? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that when we began with NPS, it really, NPS, those three letters stood for Net Promoter Score. And we thought at the beginning that the score was really the thing that was most important, giving people clarity about whether they were creating promoters, passives, or detractors. I think along the way, as we tried to help companies adopt NPS and get real value out of it, we discovered that there were certain business practices, certain disciplines, if you will, that the companies that were successful with NPS were using very consistently and others that maybe didn't lead to success. And so that's actually why, for me anyway, now NPS stands for the Net Promoter System, where system is really a system of management practices, policies, technology support that enable an organization to listen to customers, pass the feedback from customers directly to employees, and follow up and take action on it. Yes. So now NPS is absolutely an essential measurement. Is it the only measurement? No, 
despite the the way we titled our book, The Ultimate Question, or the HBR article back in 2003, the one number you need to grow, none of us have ever believed that likelihood to recommend is the only question you should ever ask customers. And in fact, to our dismay, people have interpreted it that way, and they have also misapplied or overapplied NPS. And so, you know, you'll find companies asking for NPS feedback, you know, just ridiculous number of times or at moments in time when a customer really doesn't have any legitimate feedback to provide. And that's that's not really the spirit in which we intended it. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, there, there are a bunch of these things that happen in it, over time where a management practice gets really popular. And as a result, it gets it gets overexposed and overadopted and misapplied. And, and that can actually cause problems down the road. It can give the whole concept a bad name. So in essence, you're re-educating people now in terms of the system. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a part of me that that believes, Stacy, that we made a good choice back in in 2003 when we decided to make this what we termed open source, meaning make the methodology available to anybody and encourage people to adopt it, innovate and then share back with us what they were learning. I suspect that without that, a lot of the things we've learned that make good net promoter systems successful, we wouldn't have learned. There's a lot of innovation that's happened out in the field. Mm -hmm. I also suspect that without that open source nature, it wouldn't have caught on as much and been as popular. Of course, the other side of that double-edged sword is the side where people adopt practices that are not very useful or not very effective. And sometimes they even label them best practice when in fact they're kind of empirically provable as not so good. But that that that's that comes with the territory. And so, you know, do I feel compelled to re-educate the entire market? Do I feel compelled to correct the record on everything? No, because I think that there's a certain amount of benefit that comes from that experimentation. And some of that will involve people going down funny paths. I also think that there's listeners who are beginners and starting with NPS is a really easy way to, you know, really understand and begin a CX practice. And then you have experts who really want to do more. And so what's your view for those who, you know, are those different personas, per, you know, per se, that they're just starting out versus those experts? Would you t- advise them to do anything different? I mean, an expert needs to get deep and needs to understand the subtleties and the sophisticated elements of net promoter system. It, it, somebody who's new to this space I think the most important thing is to just go start at first principles, like learn why Net Promoter is what it is and what the the derivation of some of the best practices are. So I'll give you an example or two. People get all hung up on the likelihood to recommend question. Oh, but, you know, it doesn't predict recommendations. Well, actually, you're right. It doesn't exactly predict recommendations. It is a customer's own opinion of how likely they are to recommend. And customers are, you know, notorious for not doing what they say they'll do. However, we chose that question not because of its accuracy in predicting actual recommendations, but instead in, in because of its accuracy in predicting the fundamental behaviors that generate lifetime value. So customers who say that they're nine or 10 likely to recommend, they stay longer, they buy more, they refer more often, they are lower cost to serve than customers empirically, right? Look, on average over big customer groups, than customers who give eights or, 
or sevens or sixes down to zero. It's important to remind yourself the goal of, of NPS is to, to find a single question, light, light on the customer, single question that best predicts the drivers of lifetime value. And lifetime value is actually the objective. Forming relationships with customers that are so good that the customers want to stay longer, buy more, tell their friends, generate value for the company, that's the objective, not a higher score on the survey. So my advice to anybody is sort of ground yourself in those fundamentals, understand the why behind some of these things so that you you don't get misled by people who who maybe have, you know, read the headline, but not the paragraph underneath that explained it. What's your opinion in terms of surveys? This developing of surveys is a science and an art. And some people struggle with creating them. But as far as the MPS, we'll, we'll focus there for the moment. Do you believe it goes at the beginning or the end if you have a series of questions? Well, I first want to distinguish different types of net promoter score because until you have a language for this, it's hard to talk about it and, and know that we all mean the same thing. There are three basic types of net promoter scores in our practice. One is what we call competitive benchmark or strategic net promoter scores. These are scores that give you the ability to compare your company's performance to the performance of other companies in your industry. And they're collected through a market research methodology using double blind approach. So customer doesn't know that it's you conducting the research. You don't know the name of the respondent. There's no intention to follow up. It's, it's pure market research. Second type is what we call relationship NPS. Relationship NPS is where your company reaches out to its own customers and says, hey, we've been doing business together. How likely would you be to recommend us? Why? What could we do better? And then the third type is what we call transactional or episode or journey NPS. And that's where after a specific interaction between a customer and the company, you trigger a, re a request for feedback. How likely would you be to recommend? To what extent did this latest interaction increase or decrease that likelihood of recommending? Why? What could we do better? In all of them, if you're trying to create scores that you can compare over time, our best practice is to lead with the likelihood to recommend question. Make that the first question. In double-blind market research, in the, the competitive benchmark, sometimes you have to do qualifiers before you ask the likelihood to recommend question. So it's the first substantive question. The reason why we moved it to the front instead of the end, um, number one, there's what's called a framing effect. If I ask you, Stacy, aren't we having great weather today? Yes. Isn't it wonderful that we haven't had rain in a week? Yes. Stacy, how how do you feel about rain? Right. I've now actually framed that 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 next response. The same thing happens with likelihood to recommend. If I ask you a whole bunch of questions about characteristics of the product or the service, and then I ask you likelihood to recommend, you tend to answer in ways that are consistent with your prior responses. You, you want to be coherent. You want to actually be internal, your, your internal logic to validate itself. And, and that's the customers do that. So one reason is framing. The second reason is because eventually people like to change surveys. And so if the framing questions up front change, you actually will change the response to the likelihood to recommend. I think this is huge. I mean, people really don't think about this framing effect. And 
this is big. I know there's going to be a lot of jaws open when they listen to this because it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, but people don't always think about that and, and the impact. I think when we're talking about customer feedback, closed loop feedback, so re- relationship NPS and touchpoint or, or episode NPS, one of the most important principles, aside from making sure that you're doing it in a methodology that doesn't like influence the, the response, One of the most important principles is that the very act of asking for feedback should enhance your relationship with the customer. And the implication of that is you should ask fewer questions. The questions you ask should be simple and easy to understand. You should do it in a channel, in a a methodology that makes it easy for the customer to respond. You should ask them at a time when they're likely to have feedback to share with you. You should let them speak in their own words. You shouldn't try to force them into your framework. Those are not traditional market research principles. Those are customer relationship principles. And I think that we make a mistake when we treat customer feedback as if it were a an academic research project. It's not. It's, it's a dialogue between your company and the customer in which the customer is trying to help you, the company, serve them better. That's, a, that's actually why the, the, the customers participate. So stop trying to think about like all the things your process needs and all the things that your, you know, the dip, multiple constituents in your company want out of the survey and the gazillion quantitative multiple choice questions that you wish you could get answered. And start thinking about like as a customer, how would I, how would I want to have a dialogue with a company that helps the company serve me better. You brought up the word easy before. Mm. And that's a big one for me. Effort score. Level of effort. How easy or difficult is it to get help when you need it? And so much around effort. What's your perspective and where does that fit into the system? I brought up easy in the context of giving feedback and you're now taking it in another direction, which is great. I think it's important wherever possible to reduce the effort that a customer has to put into getting value out of your your service or your product. And then that effort, by the way, can include cognitive load, like making it easy for them to understand what it is they're supposed to do. In a physical environment, making wayfinding really easy, as an example, making it obvious how to how to get things done. Effort, the, the, a lot's been made about customer effort score. I like the customer effort score and we use it. We use it for those transactions or interactions where effort is the primary barrier to success. So, you know, logging into a website, you're not going to create a promoter out of making logging into a website an easy, effortless process. You might uh, create a detractor by making it hard, or at least, you, you know, undermine the relationship in some way. So that's a good example of where a customer effort metric might really work. No potential to create a promoter, significant potential to create a detractor or to um, otherwise undermine the relationship. And importantly, a need for the customer to tell you how they're feeling about it, as opposed to you having access to data that would allow you to figure out how it's going. Another, another corollary to that first principle about making, you know, improving the relationship is you shouldn't ever ask a customer for data or information you should already know the answer to. So log into a website. If if you, Stacy, are trying to log into my website and you're banging away at it with seven attempts and it's not working and you finally log in, I actually have web logs. I, I know that that is what happened. And if that's happening enough times to enough customers, I don't need to survey anybody. I just need to fix it. If the checkout process requires eight clicks and it could be done in four, I don't need a a survey. 
if people are trying to complete an application online and they get two thirds of the way through and drop out, again, no survey needed, just fix it. So effort is an important metric. You should only need to ask the customer how effortful something was when you have no way of knowing. I also like your example about brands need to know about their customer or figure out using the data they have. And I remember uh, working at Verizon, that was a great example of where we would know that the customer logged in and they're an Apple user. So I wouldn't show them Droid products. I'd show them Apple accessories, right? So there's no survey needed. It's me knowing who logged in and showing them the right things at the right time. It's using the data that you have to inform the way that you treat the customer. There are times and places where that's more difficult. My general, when when companies tell me, well, but that's really hard to get. I'll give you an example. This is going back a little ways, but there was a quick service restaurant chain. So like fast casual dining where you sit down and you have a family meal, maybe. They were collecting that promoter feedback. And one of the first questions they asked after likelihood to recommend was, what time did you have your meal and how much did you pay for it? Now, the invitation to take the survey was from the register receipt. And on the register receipt is the amount that, that was paid and a timestamp. And he said, well, why, why would you ask the customer something that's sitting right on the very vehicle through which you asked them for feedback? And they said, well, it's hard to get. <laughs> like, okay, so you put the burden on the customer to get it for you? Like it's hard for us to get. So we did a classic one is in a bank. Were you greeted by name? Did they smile? Did they cover everything you needed? Blah, blah, blah. Well, is it my job as a customer to tattle on the the bank teller who didn't smile at me or greet me by name? Is that my job? I'm supposed to be a supervisor? Why are you asking me? You have a, a supervisor, a manager there who can observe this very directly and coach that employee. Don't make that my job. Yeah, let, let's talk about the coaching for a moment. So one of the things that I love, and I think it's a miss in many companies, is the NPS data that you get and the short survey that goes with it. What a great opportunity to, a lot of times customers will mention employees by name. And what a huge opportunity to say thank you to that employee and good job. and. I think that oftentimes people, leaders focus too much on the negative and forget to focus on the positive. One of the best things about the net promoter system we found is that um, the vast majority of customer feedback in, in, in almost every company, not every company, the vast majority of customer feedback is quite positive. And in a net promoter system, because you're giving that feedback directly and immediately to the employees who had contact with the customer or who made decisions that affected the customer, you're giving it directly to the supervisor in the moment. It gives you tremendous number of opportunities to provide positive reinforcement for good employee treatment of customers. And all the research says, positive reinforcement is far more powerful than negative at, at getting people to do the right thing. And you need a ratio of something like four to one, five to one, six to one, positive to negative or constructive, if you will. Net promoter system tends to give you that kind of feedback, tends to, to come in those proportions and give you those opportunities to 
provide positive reinforcement and catching employees doing the right thing and then telling the story about why that was a great thing to do and reinforcing it and celebrating it. Man, that has a powerful effect on a culture. It really does. And it's not hard to do. So I really hope everyone listening listens again and does this. It is in your control. And, you know, there's a lot in difficult supply chain, COVID, all that is hard, you know, to control. But this to to praise your employees and encourage them to do the right behaviors, even when the boss isn't looking and, and recognition of that, not just the detractors. And of course, the detractors presents coaching opportunities. You know, people like to give praise generally, but I see a lot of supervisors, a lot of managers give generic praise, you know, great effort, Stacey, you really are working hard. And it's like, yeah, okay. But when you've got a steady flow of customer feedback with stories from the customers about the ways in which they were served really well or not, it gives you an opportunity to be very specific in reinforcing. You know, Stacy, that customer, the reason that customer gave for why they were so happy is because they said that you were efficient and thorough in meeting their needs. Now, this other customer said that they, they didn't believe that you actually had deep product knowledge and you couldn't answer some of the detailed questions they had. So let's talk about that contrast and where that comes from, whether there are ways for you to shore up your product knowledge or get help or even acknowledge to a customer, hey, you know what? I don't know that as well as I know some other things. Can you hold on and I'll get an expert or can you hold on while I find the right information for you? That that specificity grounded in customer feedback is super powerful for helping individual employees and groups of employees learn how to serve their customers better. Yes. And I want to say that not only is it really powerful for a colleague or a manager to do it, but you really want to make the magic happen in places I've worked, including now, the president calls the employee, the technician, the, you know, that front line and says, thank you directly. Wow right? Wow. Like that's memorable. Well, let me share a a not so secret best practice. And I say secret only because it's something that when senior executives hear it, they're like, you got to be kidding me. In the companies that do the best, one of the things they do is they distribute the follow-up calls from the net promoter system throughout the organization. So instead of only having frontline supervisors making those follow-up calls, they'll have anybody who's a people manager in any role across the entire organization engage in a certain number of follow-up calls every week. might be one or two. So think of it as four or eight a month. It's not that many. But because they're regular, normal customers, because we're selecting them pretty much at random, there's a few that we screen out because we know that they involve some complexity that would be unfair to give to somebody in the back office or a senior executive who can't actually work the system, you know, in all its detail. But other than that, these are just random customers, some of them with really positive, constructive things to say that are all about why they're promoters, some of them with problems that they've had or disappointments in the relationship. But those conversations that people are having with customers enable them to then follow up with frontline employees and say, hey, I talked to a customer who you are working with, and they had so much positive feedback about the ways that you've been serving them. They also had some issues with our pricing, and they were challenging some of the delivery policies that we have. But I just wanted to let you know, you've been doing a really great job. Let's talk about how you can help shape their understanding of pricing. 
or how you can help them get comfortable with our shipping policies. That's a high value conversation between a senior executive and an entry level employee. Oh, I agree so much so. Well, with minutes left, let me ask you two questions. One, if I had all the CEOs and leaders of the major brands in my room right now, what would you say to them? This might surprise you. I would say stop using NPS as your primary objective. Instead, use customer value, the aggregate value of the the, the customers in your customer base, the aggregate customer lifetime value. Use NPS as a way to gauge whether you're improving customer value or undermining it. Use it as a way to figure out how to earn more loyalty from your customers, but don't use it as your primary objective because it's just a proxy for what you're really trying to do, which is grow profitably and sustainably through incremental investments in customer relationships. And the last question, I love to ask this of everyone. If you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, let's say age 20, what would you tell you what would you tell the younger Rob? A couple of things. I would say, number one, your career is is, is going to be long. It's, you're you're going to be working for longer, t- twice as long as you've been alive to date. So stop being in such a hurry to advance and to get to the next level. It's a, it, you know, people love to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's like multiple marathons strung together. And I'm not saying to, to you, you should languish in the same job or you should be satisfied with not advancing, but I am saying mark your progress by what you learn and the value that you can add today versus the value you'll be able to add tomorrow, not by the title you have. The second thing I would say is it's okay to take risks and innovate, even when people are slapping your wrist or pushing back. And it's sometimes worth persisting through that resistance because the change that you bring about often is really worth the effort and the pain. And people don't always recognize that up front. Sometimes you have a vision, you're, you're seeing further down the, the road than some other people around you and sticking with you, that vision persisting at it, banging away until you get it right, really, really pays off. Not all the time, but pretty often. Yeah, I agree. I love that. So a bragging moment, where can people find you? Because I'm sure they'll want to know more and see more of you. Where can they find you? Easiest places to find me, Bain.com. So I'm, you know, if you search for Rob Markey and Bain, you'll find me very easily. The other place that I think is uh, is good is the Net Promoter System podcast, where you'll hear interviews with people like you, Stacy, who are in uh, jobs at uh, big companies, or you'll hear interviews with uh, sort of visionaries like Horst Schultze, or you're, you'll hear tips and tricks about how to um, you know create a really powerful net promoter system or a great customer experience. I love it. Well, I'll uh, add that link to the show notes, and I'm so happy to have you on the Doing CX Right show because you are doing so much right and have a lot to offer our listeners. And I'm so glad we're connected. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, Stacy. See you soon. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.